0: First Corinthians chapter two, of course, is the text that we 've been uh, teaching out of, and we 're going to continue on that this morning because we 've been examining the working of the Holy Spirit, particularly as it pertains to the gifts of the spirit i 've been going over the different gifts, the, the fivefold ministry gifts, the motivational gifts, and particularly uh, the mo- manifestation gifts uh, these are the gifts that God has given us through the Holy Spirit, and we 've been looking specifically. How those gifts operate during the time of Christ and throughout the church age, and the reason for that is because it 's the position of some in the body of Christ that these gifts of the spirit have passed away uh, after the death of the last apostle, and so we 've been looking at that and trying to look at it objectively from both sides of the argument <clears throat> to see exactly what does this solo how does it apply to the scripture alone. You know, because a lot of the doctrine and beliefs that people have is not necessarily from scripture, but from philosophy and from uh, men's ideology and that. So uh, I want to know what Jesus had to say about it, not necessarily what men have to say. And so uh, we've been looking at that last week. um I continued on that series. I've been trying to systematically prove that no one can come to the conclusion that these things have passed away from Scripture alone. You have to come from a different source to try to support that argument. So last week we saw how that Thomas made the same error that some are making today today. Because some in the body of Christ are trying to, as Paul pointed out, understand the things of God by comparing spiritual things to natural things. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, For your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In verse 14, he said, Because the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So some people will just simply not accept what they cannot prove naturally and what they cannot explain logically. And so, like Thomas, they said, If I can't see it, I will not believe it. And that was the mistake that Thomas made. And I I believe a lot of people uh, make that mistake today. Now, Thomas, he demanded proof. So Jesus said, all right, Thomas, you want proof? Here I am. Touch my hands, touch my side. And then in John chapter 20, verse 29, he said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it's upon that statement right there that I, I support the biggest part of my argument. I don't have to see those things happen to believe them. I believe them because Jesus said so. That's all the proof I need. He said so. If I never see it or not, it is still true because he said so. And a lot of people just can't accept that. They have to see the proof. They have to be able to logically uh, address it and understand it and explain it so we, we saw that faith that jesus is really looking for is to simply trust him and his word alone second corinthians 5 7 says for we walk by faith not by sight simply G- believing in jesus romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god but the carnal approach to the gospel today would reverse that scripture and insist that faith doesn't come by hearing, but faith comes by seeing and seeing by demonstrated proof. And so therefore we would walk by sight and not by faith instead of walking by faith and not by sight. We need to just simply trust him. Amen. So we understand and from our study that the gifts of the spirit Uh, are are being taught in the scripture we find in first corinthians if you look with me in chapter 12 as we continue on our study in verse 7 he said but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one who's it given to each one for the profit of everyone all in the body of christ for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, for another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healings by the same Spirit, and uh, verse ten says unto another the working of miracles. Uh, so, we've uh, we've covered so far the first three in that category, what we call the insightful gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. The word of knowledge is simply knowing something by something other than natural means. Somebody didn't tell you, you didn't see it, you just know. It's been revealed in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, and you just know. The word of wisdom, I think a lot of times these things are associated with each other, but the word of wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge, Whether you've received that from God, from a revelation, or you've received it through a natural means. Wisdom is just knowing what to do. The word of knowledge always has to do with something that is present or something that has happened in the past. While the word of wisdom is always futuristic. It's what I do with that knowledge going forward. And then the discerning of spirit. These are the insightful gifts. They're in three different categories. The insightful gifts, the power gifts, and the utterance gifts. There's nine total And so the three insightful gifts is the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits tells you the source of the knowledge and wisdom that you're operating in. Because a lot of things we may know and we may have wisdom about, but the source didn't necessarily come from God. Uh, So we need to discern the spirits. The Bible tells us to try the spirits to see if they be of God or not. And so we covered that. And then last week we covered the, began covering the power of gifts, the gift of faith. I, I just kind of recap real quick. Somebody came to me and, th- well, several people actually said, Thank you so much. I've never heard faith taught like that. You know, I just thought faith is just faith, but there's different levels of faith. Jesus rebuked the disciples, said, Oh, you have little faith. And then he saw the man from Capernaum, the centurion, and it said, If you'll just speak the word, I know my servant will be made whole. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at him and said, I have not seen so great faith, not in all of Israel. And so you can have different levels of faith. I want to be in that great faith category. How about you? I do. I would love when I read that and I can't help but think I would love for Jesus to step up from his throne and look at me and say, wow. And be impressed with the faith that I have because he was impressed with his centurion. And so there's different levels of faith. And then I covered the fact that there's different kinds of faith. There's four different kinds of faith. There's common faith, what I call saving faith or working faith or productive faith. And then there is abiding faith. And then there is the gift of faith. And I broke that down in Hebrews 11, 1. It's Our common faith, the Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for. Substance means things that's tangible. You can touch it. And while it may not be real to anybody else, it's real to you. So real that it's almost like you can touch it. But it hasn't happened yet. You're hoping for it. He said it's the evidence. Evidence is something you can prove. Evidence is what you present in court. He says it's the evidence of things not yet seen. And even though you can't prove it to somebody else, it's real to you. It's been proven to you. And so faith is like common faith is something everybody has. Romans 12, 3, he said, Think not more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every single person has the ability to believe in things they can't see and things that have not happened yet. It is a common faith that every single person has. And I use an example, your paycheck, you work all week, trusting your boss is going to pay you at the end of the week. I also used Amazon faith. Amen. Come on. You go online, you look at a picture, you contact somebody you don't know, you've never seen to buy something that you can't put your hand on. You can't kick the tire, believing that it's going to show up in the mail. And you're going to let that guy go in your bank account and take your money out for something you have not yet received. But you're believing it's going to show up on your doorstep, and it's going to be exactly what you ordered. Brother, that is common faith right there, and a whole lot of people operating in it all the time. Amen. They had a special on Amazon and how powerful they have become. Everybody is buying from Amazon nowadays. And then the saving faith is the faith that goes into action, and I use the chair for an example. I can walk around that chair and all my life believe in that chair, that it's a good chair, it's comfortable, it's strong, it'll support me. But never actually sit down in the chair. Because saving faith is faith that is in action. It's when you actually do something, when you commit to that chair and you sit down in it. You know, I've heard it described like this. Faith is saying, I believe I can walk the Grand Canyon on a tight rope, blindfolded. That's common faith, but saving faith is when you put on the blindfold and step out onto the wire. That's the kind of faith that goes into action. James talked about it. He said, can faith save you? Question mark. And he said, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Because faith without works is dead. Works meaning corresponding action to what you believe. And so there's a saving faith that is faith that goes into action, that it actually does something. However, sometimes when bad things happen, people's faith can be shaken. We talked about being a backslider, people that walk away from God, even though they once believed. So that kind of faith can be shaken because there is another kind of faith, which is an abiding faith. And we sing the song, I've made up my mind, no turning back, no turning back. Because abiding faith is no matter what, I will never depart from what I believe. And I use the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace as an example. They said, we're going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, well, if you do, O king, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship you, O king. And they threw them in the furnace and God honored their faith. They said, did we not throw three men in the fire? said, yes, we did. He said, but I see four in the fire up and walking around, and one is likened to the Son of God. I think sometimes when you operate in that level of faith, God, he kind of does things on a different level for you than he will for people that don't operate in that kind of faith. Amen. And so there's abiding faith, and then even though we... We can experience all those different levels. We always battle with doubt because of human experience. People lie to you. They deceive you. They betray you. And we learn to be skeptical and untrusting to other people. Come on. Lord, we like that. We're very s- skeptical. And we, we don't want to just step out and believe people because we've been betrayed before. And so we look at God through those lenses a lot of times, and we're skeptical about God. And so we all struggle with, can God do this? Yes, he can. Will God do this? Yes, he will. Will he do it now? Does he want to do it? Yes, he does. But will he do it for me? And will he do it now? And so we struggle with that. And it's when we come to that point that God, by his Holy Spirit, does something supernatural in the lives of many people. And he gives you the gift of faith, the fourth category of faith. The gift of faith is a God-given ability to believe what you would normally question or doubt. It is a surge of confidence which rises within you and an extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act and he's going to act right now. And if you've ever had that happen, that is an amazing thing to witness within your own self. Because I've had that happen a couple of times. I knew that I knew that I knew without any doubt. God is getting ready to do something and he did it. That, that is, I would love to walk in that. Amen. Wouldn't you? Wow. So today we're going to look at the next category of the power faith. And, and the, actually the last two, the gifts, plural of healings, plural, and the working of miracles. Father. We ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, to open our eyes and our heart, Lord, to reveal truth to us. God, I I pray, Jesus, Lord, help us today to accurately, Lord, and rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, we don't ever want to teach anything that is not... Uh, yes and amen, that is not exactly what you meant and what you wanted taught, Lord. But I believe that the body of Christ, Lord, many times are in bondage, Lord. That was a great revelation that you gave to, um, to Rebecca this morning, Lord, that people they are they're set free. The chains have been taken off. The shackles are off, but we sit there because we don't realize that we are free. And Lord, there's so many in the body of Christ today that are living in bondage when you have set them free. And so, God, I pray today that you will help us to walk in that freedom, to run, God, to dance. Lord, when, when Peter and John walked into the gate called Beautiful and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Lord, he didn't just sit there, but he got up and went running and leaping and praising God. Father, may we do that today, Lord, in every level of our experience with you, as you teach us your word and your truth. I ask this now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen now many people want proof today prove to me that this is true and even when proof is given sometimes we they still challenge still question and still doubt even though the proof has been given and and last week we looked at Thomas and I thought well at least Thomas believed when he saw the proof but proof is given, and still people will, will question and doubt and argue and try to rationalize and reason everything out in their mind. And just, it just befuddles me why people would do that. I'm listening to some debates on this as I'm studying this subject, and I, I want to hear both sides of the argument. Amen. I want to, I, I listened to the other guy's position on where he's coming from. The scripture, he's quoting some of the same scriptures that we're using to defend our argument. And, and I'm listening and, and, and it becomes clear to me where he goes whoop, and makes a turn. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what that's saying, you know, because you have to keep the scripture in its whole context. Amen. And proper, what we call exegeting the scripture. And so as I'm listening to some of those arguments, I, I listened to one and said, healing and casting out devils was normative in the early church. One side of the argument said, we see that casting out demons and healing was the normal experience in the first church and in the churches of our early church fathers. And the other guy rebutted that and says, there is no record of that happening after the apostles. And so, I did a little research on my own to see if that was true. Now, the last apostle died in 98 AD. That was John. He was on the Isle of Patmos. Remember that? He received the revelation. So, by the year 100, all the apostles were dead. They'd been dead for two years. John was the last one. For two years, the year 100, two years, there's been no apostles. Justin Martyr was one of the early church fathers. He lived from 100 to 165 A.D. And he said, quote, for numerous demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your cities, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, having healed and do heal. Rendering helpless and driving the possessed devils out of the men, though they could not be cured by all other exorcists and those who used incantations and drugs. So we know that the year 100 to 165, Justin Martyr recorded that demons are being cast out. People are still being healed. He goes on to say, we call him helper and redeemer. Even the demons fear the power of his name at this day when they are exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. They are defeated. He said in another recording, he said, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. And now we have all all the demons and evil spirits subjected to us when we exercise them. So we're seeing demons being cast out, people being healed. 100 years after, after the last apostle. Marcus, Mark Minicus Felix lived from 150 to 270 AD. He said, quote, the demons themselves confess concerning themselves as often as they are driven by us from the bodies of the tormented of our words and by the fire of our prayers. When renounced by the only true God the, they wretched Beings unwillingly shudder in their bodies and either at once leap forth or else vanish by degree. So he's saying when we use the name of Jesus, they shudder and they leap forth at once and they're set free or they diminish by degree. Uh, Cyprian, who died in 258, was another early church father. He said, Oh, if only you could hear and see them when they are adjured by us, for they are tormented with spiritual scourges and are cast out from the possessed bodies with tortures of words, howling and growling at the voice of men and the power of God. They feel the stripes and blows and confess the judgment to come, come and acknowledge that what we say is true, this is. Is also done in the present day for the devil is scourged burnt and tortured by the exorcist by human voices and by divine power that's 250 years 158 year 156 years after the last apostle died Tertullian who lived 155 to 220 said what a nobler what is nobler than to tread underfoot the gods of the nation to exercise evil spirits and to perform cures, to seek divine revelation and to live to God. These are the pleasures that are the spectacle and the benefits of Christian men. So we see it over and over again. Tertullian went on in 212 to say, God everywhere manifest his signs of his power to his own people that for their comfort to strangers for the testimony see how many men of rank have been delivered from devils and healed of diseases <laughs> no record of that happening in the church i'm like what history are you reading sir tertullian said again in 212 there is still preserved among christians traces that the holy spirit that appeared in the form of a dove they expel evil spirits perform many cures, and foresee certain events. So what he's saying is demons are being delivered, people are being healed of diseases, and we're even seeing prophetically things in the future. Origen in 184 to 253 said, not a few cures are brought about in the name of Jesus and certain other manifestations of no small significance have taken place. Origin of Alexandria. Gregory the Great, A.D. 540 to 604, said in his dialogue, Gregory recorded many miracles of which he had personally acknowledged, including the raising of the dead. Are you still with me? All right, hang in there, because this was a little lengthy, but this was so good I couldn't leave it out. Thomas of Marga in his book of governors in 840 AD tells of the story of four outstanding missionaries among the Turks and the Chinese. In the case of three of them, there was no miracles are recorded. And Thomas says clearly that he had heard of none. The fourth was a man named Elijah who evangelized Mogan to the west of the Caspian Sea. He was a simple ascetic. Now, if you're wondering what an ascetic is, it's a person that practices severe self-discipline and abstinence from all forms of indulgements. It's a life of prayer, fasting, and manual labor. He was a man of deep and practical devotion life and of great faith in the power of prayer. He, called to, he was called to pioneer the missionary work. Elijah insisted on being consecrated on the day of Pentecost. When he arrived in Mogan, he went around the streets of the city calling for the people to turn from the worship of 3 demons to God, the Lord of all. At first the people mocked and laughed at him. It was when a plague of with ulcers and tumors broke out that he was able to get a response. He offered to heal the people if they would promise to give up their idolatry and turn to God. He blessed the oil taken from the vial which he had upon him by prayer. In other words, he carried anointing oil around with him. Are you getting this? And making mention of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, he healed them all. He also cast out evil spirits and preached the gospel. They were convinced and converted, but there was still a barrier. They said to him, we have Yods, Y A Z D, Yods, whom our grandfathers and ourselves have worshipped, and we are afraid of the injuries he might do us. If, however, your God, in whom you have made us place our trust, is able to slay and destroy Yodz, then you can do what you like with us. Elijah, however, asked for no miracles. Where is this Yods? He asked sharply. They took him to a hilltop and showed him a mighty oak tree situated in a valley. He called for an axe, rolled up his sleeves, girded up his loins, and went down alone and fell the tree. Elijah served the, severed the main trunk and then called for the watching people to come and make a bonfire of the wood. Now the people were ready for baptism. They built a church. Their lives were changed. Eliza baptized many and ordained priests and deacons. Later on a visit to Mesopotamia, he was called to help a Muslim woman who was under the power of an evil spirit. He laid his book of the Gospels on the breast of the afflicted woman. Do you understand? The Bible had not been canonized and put together at this point. It's still being worked on. So he had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he lays it on her breast and commanded the devil to come out and depart to Haran to the west. The devil shouted in Arabic. Oh, let us go to Haran. Many times, getting farther and farther away, and the woman was completely cured. And confessed, there is no true belief among uh, the people other than the Christian faith of the people. There was a woman named Hilgard of Binjan in one uh, and ten ninety eight to eleven seventy nine she it was said had no formula and seemed that she seemed to rely on the inner leading of the holy spirit her contemporaries reported that scarcely a sick person came to her without being healed that's a thousand years after the disciples the apostles are dead vincent of ferrier in 1330 to 1419 said everywhere he preached Countless conversions and remarkable miracles were reported. Butler reported that some fainted or, as we would say today, they fell out under the power. That's 1,400 years after the apostles. Are you still with me? I'm going to wrap this up in a second. Then we have what we call the French prophets in the 1700s. I did a study on that one time, the white chemisards and the black chemisards. The French prophets, they arose out of the persecution of the Huguenots by the governor, government of Louis Fourteenth, Louis more particularly out of the Camisards revolt of 1702. Some of the amazing miracles that were reported during that period of time. They had children that could barely speak their own language, stand up and prophesy in a perfect dialect of another language. They had some amazing miracles during that period of time. Then we move on up to 1792 to 1875. Charles Grandison Finney, one of my heroes of the faith, just study the life of that man. His father was an atheist. He was raised to be an atheist. He went to California and a woman, a prostitute, tried to position him. And he didn't know what she was trying to sell. When he fought, found out what she was doing, he began to weep. That she was willing to, for money, do what she was suggesting. She ran off in shame, and it began to grip his heart. He studied law, and as a requirement, he had to study the book of Romans. And then he went, started going to a Presbyterian church because he was an excellent cello player. And so they made him the minister of music, and he doesn't even believe in God. But because he's studying the book of Romans, and he's hearing what is being taught to the children, and he said, sir, your, your teaching is wrong. Because he, he, was, he was learning from the book of Romans that you're saved by your will, not by predestination. It's not predetermined. Your will is how you are saved. And so he, he challenged him. And he, one day he was thinking about, he was so concerned with the souls of those youth. And he heard the Lord say, but what about your soul? And said he he closed his law book, he went out in the back of the books, and he said, I personally witnessed my own salvation, and I was baptized instantly with the baptism of the Spirit. And out of my being uttered uh, came gushes of utterance of praises to God. So overwhelming it was that I believe I would have died if it would not have ceased. And you should read what happened to him after that. This guy would walk into a city, and the whole city would come to his His meetings. One entire university closed down and moved to another city just to sit under the teaching of Charles Finney. He went into one city and the governor said, don't go to listen to him. He said, I will deal with you and I will let God deal with the governor. And he fell dead in his office that instant. I mean, there are some miraculous things that took place in the 1700s under Charles Finney. Then we go on up to the 1900s, Azusa Street Revival. Papa Seymour, a little black preacher, blind in one eye. But the power of God healing people, they said, you couldn't put your hand on the wall of that building without touching canes and crutches and things that had been placed there by people who had been healed by the power of God. Then we see Amy Simple McPherson, Maria Woodworth-Edder, Smith Wigglesworth, who went to a funeral and God said, raise that man from the dead. He picked him up and set him against the wall, said, in the name of Jesus, life come into your body. And the man slid down. They said he picked him up and stood him up again, said, in the name of Jesus, life come into your body, and he slid down again. They said he picked him up and he slammed him against the wall and said, I said, life come into your body. Boom, and the guy stood up. Now, was that true? Witnesses recorded that it was, in fact, true. They saw it with their own eyes. Jack Coe, A.A. Allen, Catherine Kuhlman. Now, some of these people actually went into error. But and I think there's a reason for that. But I think the higher the level, the bigger the devil. Amen. I've witnessed some of that myself. Sometimes you come under an attack when you make a stand for Jesus on a level higher than people that don't make a stand for Jesus. But that said, just because that they, the Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. In other words, if God anoints you to do a, a supernatural ministry, He's never going to take that back from you. It's without repentance. He won't call that back. If you've got a call on your life, you will always have a call on your life, no matter what you do with it, whether you follow it or you don't follow it. The call is still there. If God gives you a gift, that gift is always there. He will not take it back. It's without repentance. So if proof is what people seek, I'm asking, what more proof do we need? There is a whole history of this proof if that's what people's looking for. If you can't just settle with the scripture alone, you've got to see it to believe it. Read the history. Just read the history. I I can't understand why people would struggle with that. John Haywood, an English writer known for his plays, poems, and collection of Proverbs, was the first man to write this in 1546. He said, there are none so blind as those who will not see. It resembled the Bible verses in Jeremiah 521. He said, hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. Thomas Chalkley, a Quaker minister in 1713, gave it the full rendition that we know today. It says, there is none so blind as those who will not see. The most deluded people are those who choose to ignore what they already know. So as I'm listening to this debate, I'm like, and I don't mean to be ugly about it, but I'm like, sir, read the history. What do you mean there's no record of this happening after the apostles died? Our history is saturated with it, and it is still going on today. But what does the Bible teach about, about healing? Now, most people would say that if you have your health, you have everything. Can we get an amen about that? I think most people would say that because most people, as far as the natural realm, it is the most valuable thing that we have is our health. There's people that would give every single thing that they have to be healthy. There's people that have given everything that they have to be healthy. We see a recording of that in Luke chapter eight, the woman that had a flow of blood for 12 years said she spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. She gave everything that she had trying to be healed. And she wasn't healed until she trusted in Jesus Christ and touched his garment and she was made whole. Aren't you glad God still does that today? And it doesn't cost you a thing. Money-wise. Doesn't cost you a thing. I mean, people, people that don't even believe in healing will not refuse prayer. They may not even believe in it, but they, if you want to pray for them to, to be healed, they, they're not going to say no even though they don't even believe in it because they're desperate to try anything. I mean, people take mud baths. They go to mineral Springs. They try all kinds of acupuncture, just anything because people are desperate to be healed because this is such a, it is such a treasured thing to have your health and divine healing. Then out of the gifts, I think is the most controversial of all the gifts. And the reason is because I think of people's desperation charlatans false teachers and crooks and con men they know how much that means to you and they know that is an easy way to your pocketbook and we've seen that and and people see it and they equate people will see things like that i'm in our new members class i was telling the students i'm like we are ambassadors of cvag when we go outside this church the way that we behave see people see you And whatever you do, they think all of us do. Are you hearing me? And so if you do something that's really weird and off the wall and flaky, there's like all those people down there are crazy. Because that's the representation of it, you know. And so... People see these divine healers, they call themselves, on, on faith healers or whatever, that's just taking advantage of people. And they think everybody that is a person of faith that believes in the power of God to heal is like that. And so we're all branded and demonized as that. When, when we're not that. And, and I mean, there's been some people out there. There was one guy that he, they actually caught him doing this. He had an earpiece. And when people are coming in, they'd be like, hi, how are you doing? My name is so-and-so. Who are you? And they would learn details about you. You've got a back injury. You're from Toledo, Ohio, you know, and you were hurt in a, a work related accident or whatever. And so they're like third row back, fourth seat from the end, blonde headed guy. He's got a back injury, blah, 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 blah. And this guy, Peter Popoff, I don't mind telling you who the guy was, would say, "Oh, I'm here," and then he would call the guy out and tell him specifically what was wrong with him. This guy, like, "Whoa, this guy here is from God," and he would empty his bank account to be healed. Now, I had some personal dealings with that a lady that I won't go into too much detail, but she was she had already sent over ten thousand dollars to that guy. He was sending her a feather to tape to her body. Well, that ain't nothing but a demonic fetish. That is an open gateway to the demonic realm. This guy was off the rail evil. And so people do that. And then everybody that believes in faith, you know, in in faith in Christ and the healing power of God, we have to bear that label sometimes. And it's just not fair. Amen. Amen. But but there are some fair questions about healing. And I think the two most common is, does God actually heal today? And why does God heal some and doesn't heal others? A lot of times there's people that are bitter and, and they become very angry toward God because someone isn't healed. And you may have heard this. Well, if God heals, or you say He heals so and so, but why didn't He heal my brother, or my sister, or my mom, or my dad, or my uncle? And what about all the little children, little babies in the world that's got all of these diseases and stuff? Why does God let that happen? And, And so people become angry and bitter towards God because of those things. So before we go into the reasons why everyone is not healed, let's look at where does the Bible, first of all, teach that we can be healed today? Mark chapter 16, verse 18 says, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's in a comment where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And he says, these signs shall follow them that believe. And he gives a list of things. You know, they will speak with new tongues. They will, they will, uh, take up serpents. And that's not talking about grabbing a hold of a rattlesnake. It's talking about spiritual authority. You know, if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. It says they will lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. That is a direct promise from God that that's going to follow them that believe. How many believers we have in here? Come on. If we're not believers, we're in trouble. Amen. These signs shall follow them that believe. That's you. That's you and I. We will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. James chapter 5 verse 14 and 15 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. So we know that that is a promise to, today. That you, if you're Really what that is talking about is if you're too sick to get up and come to, to someone for prayer, actually you, you're bedridden, then you call the elders of the church. They will come to you and anoint you with oil and pray for you. However, we, we still practice that here. You know, we have the elders come. And if you want the elders to pray for you, church, I've seen that happen firsthand more than a few times. John fourteen twelve says, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Jesus talking. He, everybody say he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Now, a lot of people that argue that this has passed away will use that scripture to defend their argument, saying we don't see people doing the works that Jesus did. But what they're saying is we're not doing exactly like Jesus did. But on the other side of that argument, church, the disciples didn't calm the sea. The disciples didn't feed the multitude. He's not talking about the specific details of what Jesus did, but the fact that he went out in and by faith, he did supernatural things. He said, you're going to do the same thing. How do we see history saturated with people being healed and demons being cast out and miracles taking place? If men were not walking in that same kind of anointing to do supernatural things, that's humanly impossible to do. And so he's saying, the things that I do, you're going to do also, and greater things than these. Greater things, Reinhard Bunke preached in one service and had over a million people come to Christ in a single service. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and 3,000 was added to the church. That day, Jesus never did anything like that. Greater things than these shall you do. I am preaching today, and this sermon is going all around the world. There's people in Poland that's going to be listening to this message. I have been heard, and there, there are people that have held church service in Iraq and listened to my sermon as a part of their church service. To a recording that was sent to them when we first started Desert Storm and that over there, not Desert Storm, but uh, Operation Knockin', Shock and All, whenever we went into Iraq. There was a lady in our church, her son was in the military, and she sent him the recordings of the service, and he'd call his buddies together, and they would have. Jesus never did that. Have I done greater works in some ways? Yes. Have you done greater works? You actually have in some ways than what Jesus did. So we, we, we can understand it if we just try. So, does the Bible teach that we can heal today? Absolutely, it does. Who does he use? The Bible says he uses any believer. And I'm going to let you in on something, Pentecostal people. Are you here? Say amen. You don't have to be spirit-filled for God to do this. He said, he that believeth on me. He didn't say he that's baptized in the Holy Ghost. He that believeth on me. In 1958, I was four years old. My father was a deacon in the Baptist church. It was just before he answered the call to ministry. He went into the seminary in 1960. So two years before he went into the ministry, my dad was born with a horseshoe kidney. One in 600 people has this, it's a a birth defect. It comes from birth where your kidney actually grows and fuses together. And it was causing him all kinds of problems. My dad had a lot of problems with kidney stones and different things. He called the board of deacons to our house to pray for him. Because he read in James, if you're sick, call the elders and let them anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. This bunch of Baptist men came to my house. I'm too young to remember this, but I hear, I remember hearing my mama dad talk about it. We had a bookcase that sat over at the side of the living room and it had glass doors on it. There was a set of encyclopedias inside of it. And there were two violin flower vases that you could just slide it in. It was just clear the top shelf and slide into the bottom shelf. You could not turn it over. You had to slide it out. And then lay it down to turn it over. We tried. They tried. And in fact, I tried it after that myself after I learned about it. You couldn't turn that vase over. While they were praying for my dad, one of those vases turned over in that bookshelf. And when my dad went back to the doctor, he had two perfect kidneys. Church, I'm telling you now, that doesn't happen without the supernatural intervention of God by people who honor his word. You can't tell me it doesn't happen. If you want proof, I, I, if that didn't happen, I'd still believe it. But God gives us proof. In 1982, there was a gentleman who went to the hospital. They said he had degenerate arthritis of his spinal fluid. Jeannie and I went to, get, went to see him and we said, we don't receive that. In Jesus' name, we declare that the The blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God is going to heal you. We laid hands on him, prayed for him. Further uh, um, test, they couldn't find it anymore. So then they found a brain tumor. We said, we don't receive that in Jesus' name. And we laid hands on him, prayed for him again. Further test, the brain tumor was gone. Finally, after a series of tests, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. They gave him some vitamins and said, sir, we don't know what's happening. And they sent him home. At that same time, my uncle is, is in the hospital. We're going from one hospital to the other, praying for both of them, using the same faith, same formula, same everything. And my uncle died with cancer. I, I don't understand that, church. But it's not up to you how it works. It's just up to you to be obedient to what God has told us to do. The rest is in his hands. And the Lord has taught me over the years about that. In 1991, my son was in school. The teacher said, he's sleeping too much. We don't understand what's going on. You probably should take him to the doctor and get him checked out. Took him to the doctor. His blood sugar was five. His urine sugar was 500. His blood sugar was 250. And they said, we're sorry, but your son has juvenile diabetes. We're going to have to, he's going to start taking insulin injections. Three days before that, Jeannie was, was at home and God said, you need to fast and pray for the children. She said, she didn't know why, but she fasted for three days. And when she took him to the doctor and heard that doctor's report, she said, I will not let the devil put that on my child. God showed me three days ago to fast and pray for our children. Now I know why. And in Jesus' name we will not receive that. Satan, you're not putting that on my son. And and it, let me tell you something, church. I wasn't in a good place at that time. She did it all on her own. And she stood in faith. So they came in, they fed him high doses of sugar to try to regulate how much insulin they were going to have to give him to regulate his diabetes. After all of that sugar, they tested his, his sugar again. It was 98, 99. They couldn't get it to raise. And so They're like, well, Miss we Newcomb, don't, we don't know what's happening here, but you're very lucky. She said, no, luck has nothing to do with it. She said, God showed me three days ago to fast and pray for my children. Said, God is the reason he's walking out of here healed today. And he's still healed to this very day. 2018, there was a young lady in our church, went to the doctor. She had a hole in her heart. It wasn't a question of whether it was there or not. They saw it. And they planned the surgery. She came to church and said, they found a hole in my heart. And said, we're going to have to go into surgery. They've got to, they've got to whatever they do to it, but they're going to have to correct it. And so they scheduled an appointment to measure the size of the hole to, to determine how they're going to correct this. And so when she told me that morning we came in, it was before church. I said, well, come with me. And I walked in Hunter was in here. I said, Hunter, come here. We're going to pray for her after church. Some other people prayed for her. Many of you prayed for her. She went back to the doctor. They couldn't find the hole. Her heart was perfect. It was gone. Church, those things just don't happen without God's intervention. Now, there's no such thing as a faith healer. We, just, we don't walk in that. God is the healer. Church, you can't heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. When you lay hands on somebody, that's got absolutely nothing to do with their healing. That is just a point of obedience To what God told us to do. Your hands are just hands; they don't do a thing. If my hands are usually cold, all they do is people are like, "Whoa, your hands are cold." You know, I heard people say he put his hands on me; it was like fire. I was like, "Well, that's got zip to do with it." (laughs) Amen. If you pour all on somebody, that is nothing but juice squeezed out of an olive. There's no well, actually, there is, but I won't go into that. But in a spiritual application, it's just oil. All it's going to do is get you greasy. It's just a point of contact of obedience It's a step of obedience. And if God doesn't say you're healed, you won't be healed. And I don't care if it's terminal illness or if it's a scratch on your hand. Cause Timmy could tell you he was putting a pump in a swamp down here and cut his hand and got some of that bacteria from the swamp water in his hand and his body the infection to spread through his whole body. If God hadn't have intervened, he could be gone today. We know that because just before that, a good friend of mine, you all know, Bernie Smith, he cut a scratch on his elbow, and as a result of that, he died. No, he was technically dead. Every organ in his body shut down. Infection spread through his whole body, and every organ in his body shut down. The only thing keeping him alive was a machine. The doctor called Jan in, his wife, and said, said I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Said, you can just plan for the worst. In other words, make the funeral arrangements. He's, he's dead. She called me up and she was a wreck, man. She said, and told me what, what she said. Bernie's a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for a long, long time. And so Jeannie was out in Missouri. And because Charity, my daughter, was living in Missouri at that time and she was having her baby. And Jeannie was out there to help with the birth. And I said, Jeannie, I got to call today and this and that and everything. I said, just be praying, you know. And she could hear how, how upset I was. And so she started praying. Well, next thing you know, his liver starts working. This starts working. This organ starts working. This organ starts working. Next thing you know, he's, a, he's awake. Sheen's dis- disconnected. When he woke up, this is what he asked, Jan. Where is Jeannie? Where is Jeannie? She said, Jeannie, who? Jeannie Newcomb. Where's Jeannie? She said, Bernie, Jeannie's not here. He said, I know she is. I could hear her praying. And I heard children playing in the background. I know she was here. I could hear her. Listen, I'm not giving credit to Jeannie. What I'm showing you is this stuff is the real deal. Church, you can't tell me this doesn't. This is not real. It doesn't work. You want proof? Look around. Psalms 103, verse 1. I'm going to have to wrap this up. Uh, boy, we're not going to get through, man. Bless me, the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Amen. Now, I don't know why the gifts plural of healings are plural. There's a lot of debate about that. I believe it has to do with the triune being of man. We are a body. We have a soul and we have a spirit. And I believe that there's sickness that enters in either one of those three categories. And I believe that specific. There's a specific way to deal with each one of those. If there's sickness in your body, I don't need to be giving you counseling about how to think. You know you need to eat right. You need to exercise. You need to take care of yourself. If there's sickness in your mind, I don't need to be giving you medicine. You, you need counseling. You need to know that how to write your thinking, you know, because your sickness is in the soulish area you're thinking yourself sick. Hypochondriacs believe themselves to be sick when there's nothing wrong with them to the point that their body begins to manifest what they believe is wrong. I've seen that happen. People confess. I know I've got this. I know I've got this when they don't, but because of their belief and because of their giving word to that and believing in that, it begins to manifest in their body. I know a man that died with cancer because he claimed it. My cancer, he said. I'm like, dude, don't say that. It's not your cancer. Jesus took that upon himself at Calvary. That's not yours. But he took it and claimed it and died with it. So there's other areas. There's spiritual areas. If you're opening yourself to the demonic realm, you don't need somebody to give you counseling. You don't need somebody to give you medicine. You need somebody to lay hands on you, cast that thing out of you. And close the door that you've opened up to the demonic realm. So I believe that healing's plural and gifts plural. Uh, and I might be wrong. I don't know. This is just my take on it for what it's worth. Nobody really knows why it's pluralized. I believe that's why. But what we need to understand today, we, we said, why, isn't, why does God heal some and he doesn't heal others? Church, what you have to understand is healing is not a right. Healing is an expression of God's divine mercy. And the Bible says he shows mercy to whom he shows mercy. Now, we don't understand it. We can't explain that sometimes. But the Bible says, does the potter, does the pottery say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Is it not in the hands of the, of the power of the potter's hands to make this vessel to honor and this one to dishonor? You can't rule out the sovereignty of God. In other words, you don't put God in a box and say, you've got to do this and that because, because I'm holding you to your word. When I pray, I don't pray if it's your will, Lord, but I pray according to your will, God, because I leave, I leave room that God, sometimes you just say, no, I don't know why you healed this man with a, with a brain tumor. And my uncle died with cancer. The faith that I applied to one, I applied to the other. One situation was no graver than the other. But God said, yes here, and he said, no there. This man had no more right to be healed than this one did. It's not a right. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. What we all have a right to is death. That's what we've earned, the wages it's owed to us. In Philippians 2, it says, you have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger, the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all and who distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. In other words, he's dying. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow up on sorrow. In other words, he's sitting there watching his friend die. And it's time for him to go somewhere else. So he left Epaphroditus. Well, no, that was a different, that was Miletus. But he's sitting there watching Epaphroditus dying. And he's sorrowful. And he said, But God showed him mercy and raised him up so that I wouldn't be more sorrowful than I already am. So healing is not the payment of a debt. God doesn't owe us any healing. Now, we should have faith to he, be healed, but there's a vast difference between faith in divine uh, mercy and presumption on an alleged right. Everyone doesn't have the right to be healed. I like the way Randy put it when a, an opening statement he made one time. It says, every duck is not a winner. You know, you go to the fair and say, pick a duck, any duck, every duck's a winner. That's a philosophy that we've accepted in, in our culture. Every kid gets a trophy. Are you, are you hearing me? You don't tell a child that he lost. No, if you didn't win, you lost. You lose. No, don't tell them they lost. Just tell them they didn't win. No, you lost. <laughs> you need to get over it. it make them tough. He's, I mean, we are neutering our men these days. I'm telling them I could go there, but I'm not going to. Every duck's not a winner. So what do you do if God doesn't answer your prayer? What do you do if he doesn't give you what you expect him to do? And I put it this way. If life hands you a lemon, what do you do? Do You suck on the lemon and complain how bitter it is. A lot of people, they just suck on the lemon, complain how bitter and nasty that thing is. But some of us will squeeze that mug out. We put it in a little water, put it in a little sugar, and we make lemonade. It's good for you. It's good for other people. I'm going to show you a clip real quick. It's about five minutes long. And then we're going to wrap this up of a young man that knows how to take the lemon that life handed him and make lemonade out of it. How many of you have heard of Nick Vucevic before? Isn't he an awesome guy. He's got just the happiest demeanor. He he's a prankster and he loves to joke. You know, he, gets in, he loves to swim. He'll dive off of a diving board, and you're like, oh, my Lord, he's going to drown. But he said, because I don't have arm and legs, he said, I bob like a cork. <laughs> he said, he'll get in cold water. He's like, ooh, it's so cold, I can't feel my hands. <laughs> <And he'll> laugh. <laughs> he is just the biggest clown, you know. You'll be happy to know that he has a beautiful little Filipino wife and two children. So, um, See, life handed him a lemon, but he didn't sit around complaining about, oh, what God did to me. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. He added the sweetness of God and the water of the spirit, and he made lemonade out of it. And as a result, he's doing amazing things for God. So, you know, we don't really know why God sometimes doesn't answer our prayer and do the things that we expect him to do, and he doesn't heal. Sometimes it's because of unbelief, maybe unrepented sin. Sometimes people just don't want it. I've actually had people say, I don't want God to heal me. I'll lose my disability. You know, sometimes we have not for we ask not. Sometimes it's demonic. You know, there's a lot of association in the Bible between deliverance and healing. And so there's a lot of variables as to why, and we can't always answer those questions. But the thing that's most important, church, is we need to have an eternal perspective because there is no sickness greater than the sickness of your spirit, the sickness of your soul. I believe that Nick deals with what he deals with because he has an eternal perspective. John, uh, John Bevere went into a, a country. He spoke to 120,000, um, uh, ministers of the gospel. And he he said that they represented, I forget now, it was like 300-something thousand parishioners. I forget now the numbers, all the numbers. And he asked, when did this movement start? And they named a date, and it was only 16 years before that, that the movement started with one family. He said, how on earth did you build a ministry from one family in 16 years to this size of a ministry? And they said, there's one reason. We focus on eternity because fo- we're so focused on this world. And I think Nick has got his mind on there is, there's another world. One day he will have arms and he will have legs and he's going to run the streets of that city. You know, because he has an eternal perspective and he wants to bring as many people as he can with him. So he's not focusing on how bad things are for me here. He's dealing with what he's dealt and dealt with and he's... He's doing it in a sweet spirit. So, you know, what do you do if God doesn't answer your prayer? You take the lemon that God's gave you and you make lemonade out of it. All right? But we don't want to have a defeated spirit. We want to have the right heart and right spirit. So there is no greater, no greater uh, sickness than the sickness of your soul. I heard it put this way, that sin is the malignity of the soul. And there's only one cure. And that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus even himself said, if your hand offends you, cut it off and cast it from you. If your eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from you. Because it would be better for you to go through life blind and maimed than to enter into hell with a whole body. Church, we we can have everything that we, I mean, be the most blessed people and have great health all the days of our life. And it mean nothing in eternity. Because this life is like that, and it's over. I'll be 66 my next birthday. I'm like, I'm probably, I'm past the halfway mark, I think. You know, I don't know if I'm two-thirds in or if I'm 90% in. I don't know, but there's more of it gone than what's ahead, you know. And I'm, I can tell you that when the Bible says that life is like a vapor of smoke, it's like a blade of grass, it's here today and tomorrow, it's cast into the fire. That is a fact, my friend. But eternity is forever and so it is so important that if regardless of whether we ever receive healing in our body we need to make sure we receive healing in our spirit healing in our soul amen because nothing is greater than that so what happens if you've got a situation you need healing then you pray and you keep on praying and you ask you keep on asking and you keep letting God do what God does